You're listening to Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams. I'm Andrew Mackey. I refused to sit with my friends during the 2006 football season. I wasn't going to do it. To sit with friends meant you had to form a group, and a group would be placed anywhere in the stadium based on the lowest amount of credits that a single group member had. So freshmen, sophomores, they had to sit further away from the field than seniors and juniors. I had already changed my major once, and should have been ready to graduate if it wasn't for that, so let's just say I had more than enough credits to secure pretty good seats that year. My friends were my mock trial teammates. Sophomores, juniors, definitely not super seniors like myself. However, this wasn't just cold-hearted of me. It was pure, simple math. I was playing the odds. Yeah, it would stink to not know anyone in my section, especially in games against Indiana or Bowling Green, but I was betting that the game at the end of the season would be one to remember. Since it was an even-numbered year, that meant that the game would be played in Columbus that year. For the uncultured out there, the game is the college football rivalry matchup between the University of Michigan and the Ohio State University. My gamble paid off. Yeah, I was alone. I was amongst strangers and people who I'd never seen before, but I was in the A-deck, six rows off the field at about the 20-yard line. On the last day of the regular season, November 18th, 2006, it was time for the game. Ohio State was undefeated and the number one team in the nation. Our opponents that day, Michigan, were also undefeated, and they were number two. In the entire history of this rivalry, it was the first time that this had ever happened. Traditionally, the game between the two schools would kick off in noon, but because this was a special circumstance, many were calling it the game of the century, ESPN and ABC moved the kickoff time to 3.30 p.m. When the game finished, it would be dark. It would be under the lights. It was one of the best football games I ever saw in person during my time at Ohio State. Lots of points, lots of drama, high stakes, those mazed-winged navy blue helmets clashing with the buckeye-leafed-covered silver helmets. It was perfect. Ohio State won an incredible game, 42-39. to We, the students, rushed onto the field. We sang our alma mater, Carmen, Ohio, with players arm-in-arm, and I took home some grass that I tried to grow in a pot in my parents' house because I didn't know how to garden. It was a sign of things to come, though. Following the game, Ohio State claimed the Big Ten championship outright for the first time since 1984. They also claimed a spot in the BCS National Championship game. Following the game, there was a chance of a rematch in the 2007 BCS National Championship, but Florida was chosen over Michigan to be Ohio State's opponent. The Wolverines would accept a berth in the Rose Bowl, which is a pretty sweet consolation prize. Troy Smith became the seventh Ohio State player to win the Heisman Trophy, while multiple players on both teams were recognized with conference and national awards. Michigan would lose the Rose Bowl 32-18 to the USC Trojans. Ohio State... Well, as much as I would not like to talk about it, the Buckeyes were defeated 41-14 by the Florida Gators. After finishing 2006 with 11 wins and 2 losses, in contention for the national title for most of the season, Michigan was ranked number 5 heading into the next year. This is episode 12 of Good Hustle, the 2007 Michigan Wolverines. Chapter 1. Hail to the Victor's Valiant. My first year at Ohio State, I went all in. I had to. Even though I sang songs from the student section about my dislike of that state up north, I had a secret, and it was hiding in my wallet. It was a Michigan driver's license. My family loved the University of Michigan. 
My mother had ties because her youngest sister had gone through so many medical treatments at their hospital during her life. My grandparents lived on a horse farm outside of Ann Arbor in the sleepy village of Dexter. I saw those famous helmets as a kid and I was hooked. But at this point in my life, in 2007, I loved Ohio State. But my first love was Michigan. The school with the most wins in college football history? Michigan. The highest winning percentage among all top-level college football teams? Michigan. The largest stadium in the entire country? Michigan. As a kid, there was nothing better than the maize and blue on a fall day. Michigan began competing in intercollegiate football in 1879. The Wolverines joined the Big Ten Conference at its start in 1896, and outside of a few years where they weren't a part of it, have been there ever since. Michigan has won or shared 42 Big Ten titles. And since the inception of the AP poll in 1936, they've been in the top 10 at the end of it a total of 38 times. The Wolverines claim 11 national championships, most recently of which was in 1997, although Nebraska fans would disagree with that. But since it's my show, we're going to say Michigan won the 97 national championship. From 1900 to 1989, Michigan was led by a series of nine head coaches. Each of them have been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, either as a player or because of their time as a coach. Fielding Yost was Michigan's head coach in 1901, and he guided his point-a-minute squads to a streak of 56 games without a defeat spanning from his arrival until the season finale of 1905. During that stretch, they won the 1902 Rose Bowl, which was the very first college football bowl game ever played. The amazing arena in Ann Arbor that hosts the University of Michigan ice hockey team is Yost Arena, and it's worth a pilgrimage if you like the sport. Fritz Chrysler brought his winged helmet from Princeton University in 1938 and led the 47 Wolverines to the national title and Michigan's second Rose Bowl win. For every home game, Michigan still reserves one seat in the stadium in an undisclosed location for Chrysler. Their tradition was started in the 1950s, and since then, all Michigan stadium capacity figures end with a one. Chrysler was also the father of two platoon football, which meant that he pushed the idea of separate offensive and defensive players. The most famous Wolverines coach would be Bo Schembechler, who coached the team from 1969 to 1989 and won 13 Big Ten titles in 194 games. It's a program record. The first decade of his tenure was underscored by an intense rivalry with his former mentor, Woody Hayes, and the Ohio State Buckeyes. The two larger-than-life coaches would square off with the Big Ten title on the line in a rivalry dubbed the 10-year war. Following Shem Beckler's retirement, the program was coached by two of his former assistants, Gary Moeller and then Lloyd Carr, who maintained the program's overall success during those 18 years. After Carr, though, the program would decline. Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke were both fired after relatively short tenures with Michigan. Following Hoke's dismissal, Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh on December 30th, 2014. Harbaugh is a former quarterback at Michigan. He played there between 1982 and 1986 for Bo Schembechler. Formerly, he was the a successful coach at Stanford University and coached in the Super Bowl before coming back to Michigan. Recently, his former quarterback Wilton Spate said that Harbaugh believes people shouldn't eat chicken because it's quote, a nervous bird. Take that how you will. The Wolverines have featured 81 players that have been consensus selections to the college football All-America team. Three Wolverines have won the Heisman Trophy, the award given to the best player in the land. Tom Harmon won it in 1940, Desmond Howard struck a pose and won it in 1991, and Charles Woodson beat Peyton Manning for the award in 1997. Gerald Ford, who later became the 38th president of the United States, started at center for Michigan and was voted most valuable player by his teammates on the 1934 team. He had offers to become a pro football player with the Green Bay Packers or the Detroit Lions, but 
he stayed in politics, and I suppose that worked out for him. Michigan, along with the United States Naval Academy at Annapolis, Miami University in Oxford, you know, the one in Ohio, which was a university when Florida still belonged to Spain, and Stanford are the only schools to produce a president and a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But we're here to talk about the 2007 season, and it started off with a game that goes down in history. Normally, games between FBS and FCS teams typically result in a lopsided victory for the FBS team. FBS being the top level of college football and FCS being the second tier. And the Michigan-Appalachian State game was not expected to be any exception to this rule. The predicted outcome was a lopsided victory for Michigan, to the point that Las Vegas sportsbooks didn't even give the game a betting line. The game was also the first to be broadcast on the then-brand-new Big Ten Network, which meant I had to watch the game at my grandparents' house, since there was a big kerfuffle in my area over whether or not the cable company would carry it. My step-grandfather, Jim, was a die-hard Wolverines fan, and like my mother, despite my attendance at Ohio State, they could never bring themselves to root for the Buckeyes. So I would be watching the Michigan and Ohio State games up in Lewis Center with them. We were going to go to an Ohio State watch party at their condominium clubhouse. Both Michigan and Ohio State were playing FCS teams. This meant that their opponents were full division below them and had limited resources compared to the big business that was Ohio State and Michigan's athletic departments. Ohio State crushed Youngstown State. It was pretty ugly, so we headed out earlier so Jim could watch the rest of the Michigan game. His excitement to watch his team would end the moment he sat down on the couch and put on the television. The part of the game we missed would have maybe helped ease him into the idea of losing this game. Appalachian State was gangbusters out of the gate, holding a 28-17 lead going into halftime. When we arrived, Michigan had just regained the lead at 32-31 in the fourth quarter. Jim asked me if the new network's score was a typo. So I gleefully confirmed to him that no, no it wasn't, you're only up by one point at home to Appalachian State. As we watched further, Appalachian State would take the lead for a second time on a short field goal with 26 seconds left in the game. I think it's at this point that he turned off his hearing aid so he couldn't hear me cackling in the recliner across from him. Appalachian State would then block a game-winning field goal attempt from Michigan at the end of the regulation to finish the upset 34-32. It was bedlam. It was immediately hailed as one of the greatest upsets in college football history. The game served as the lead story on SportsCenter and was the cover story for the following week's edition of Sports Illustrated. Appalachian State became the second FCS team to defeat a ranked FBS team. And as a result of the game, Michigan went from number 5 to out of the top 25 entirely, marking the first time a team had fallen all that way in the entire history of the poll. Their national championship chances? They were gone. One game into the season, everything was already on fire. The next week, Michigan looked to recover from their stunning loss to Appalachian State at home against Oregon. Michigan took a 7-3 lead in the first quarter, but then Oregon's Dennis Dixon and their high-powered offense went to town on the struggling Michigan defense, and Michigan would then suffer its worst-ever home loss. The Michigan fans booed the Wolverines on their home field, and people were calling for Lloyd Carr to be fired. The loss was another embarrassment for Michigan, who just two weeks earlier had dreams of competing for a national title. In addition to the huge defeat, Michigan lost its senior quarterback, Chad Henney, to a knee injury. The 32-point defeat was Michigan's worst loss since losing 50-14 at Ohio State back in 1968. It was their second worst home loss ever, and that goes all the way back to a 40 to nothing shutout against Minnesota in 1935. The Wolverines had started 0-2 for the first time since 1998 
1938, and the first time starting 0-2 on a homestead since 1959. But on a positive note, both the times Michigan rebounded back and would win the Big Ten title that year. Before we head into the next chapter, I just want to remind everybody that if you like professional wrestling, you need to be checking out Next Up NXT with Kyle and Nicholas. They just put out an episode this past week recapping the NXT takeover, so you might want to give that a listen. You can find it on Anchor, iTunes, or you know wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'll have a link for you guys in the description of this episode, so give them a listen. Next Up NXT. All right, back to the program. Chapter 2 Hail to the Conquering Heroes. For week three, the University of Michigan would take on Notre Dame, another rival. And if you asked any of the friends at my Catholic middle school, the rival for Michigan. It was the first time that both teams had a 0-2 record. Since both teams had lost their final two games of the 2006 season, the loser of this game would have a five-game losing streak dating back to that time. Head coach Lloyd Carr had many challenges, including the loss of his senior quarterback, Chad Henney. Fans were calling for his firing, and his senior running back, Mike Hart, had gone ahead and guaranteed a victory in this game. Luckily for Lloyd Carr, and for probably Mike Hart, his prediction came true, and the Michigan Wolverines destroyed the Fighting Irish 38 to nothing, tying their largest ever win over Notre Dame. Despite the early season stumbles, they were back on track, and next up for Michigan was the 2007 Big Ten opener against Penn State. Still unranked after their loss to Appalachian State, Michigan defeated the number 10-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions 14-9. Mike Hart had another big game, with 44 carries and 153 yards. In his second career start, true freshman quarterback Ryan Mallett was 16-29 of 29 passing and had a rushing touchdown. Michigan got off to a good conference start with the big win and would continue rolling with wins in the following weeks against Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, and Minnesota, which brought their record to 7-2 and and got them as high as 15th when they traveled to the banks of the Red Cedar in East Lansing to take on their in-state rival, the Michigan State University Spartans. It was blasphemy when I told other students at Ohio State that growing up in Michigan, Michigan State was the game I cared the most about. Teachers would decorate up the hallways in my schools with colors of their allegiance, green and white or maize and blue. Michigan State always seemed to be in the Wolverines way when I was growing up. I really remember them ruining the 1999 season. The 2007 game was no different. Michigan was down 24 to 14 in the fourth quarter. They began an 80-yard drive which was capped by Chad Henney, who's back from injury, throwing his third touchdown pass of the game this time to Adrian Arrington. After Michigan's defense forced a three and out, their offense went back to work. In Michigan State territory, facing a third and 12, Chad Henney found another receiver with alliteration, Mario Manningham, in the end zone, which gave Michigan a 28-24 lead. Michigan State's final drive stalled after quarterback Brian Hoyer's 4th and 18th pass fell incomplete. Henney took a knee to run out the clock, and Michigan had won the game. And as we've talked about in other episodes, losses against teams not in your conference, they don't really matter. It only matters if it's in the conference, and Appalachian State and Oregon were not in the conference. So, heading into the last two weeks of the season, Michigan still controlled their Big Ten destiny. They could win out and still win the conference outright. The Wolverines were now 8-2 on the year. They had moved back up to 13th in the polls. 
They had one more test on the road before finishing the regular season against Ohio State. Michigan first, though, had to travel to the always tricky Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, for a matchup against the University of Wisconsin Badgers. Everyone in the Big Ten hates playing at Camp Randall, and Michigan proved to be no different, as Wisconsin pounded Lloyd Carr's Michigan team 37-21. With the loss, Michigan would need some help if they were going to win the Big Ten. And, well... They got it. The same Saturday, the number one ranked team in the country, the Ohio State University Buckeyes, they stumbled too. They fell at home 28-21 to the unranked University of Illinois fighting Illini. This meant that with a win over Ohio State at home, despite all of the chaos of this season, Michigan could still win the Big Ten Conference. Chapter 3. Hail, hail to Michigan, the champions of the West. Michigan got off to a solid start with a 3-0 lead in the first quarter, but the Buckeyes controlled the game by stopping a one-dimensional offense and pretty much just giving the ball to Chris Beanie-Wells. Wells would put Ohio State ahead with a one-yard run early in the second quarter, and a 62-yard score made it 14-3 on the very first snap after halftime. The Michigan offense was pretty awful. Henny was ineffective with a shoulder injury, Hart was unable to find any room to run against the Buckeyes' defense, and since they didn't have to really pay any attention to Chad Henny, they would just line up the box and tackle Hart over and over and over. When the Wolverines did try to throw, Ohio State defensive lineman and former statistics classmate of mine, Vernon Golston, made life miserable for them with three of Ohio State's four sacks. Henny would finish the game with 11 completions on 34 attempts, which is terrible for 68 yards passing, which isn't much, and would not speak to reporters after the game. Mike Hart had 18 carries for 44 yards, his first game this year under the 100-yard mark. He seemed to be relatively healthy after being sidelined with a badly sprained right ankle. Quote, we have no excuses here, unquote, Coach Lloyd Carr said. He would then go on to say, I think it's fair to acknowledge Chad didn't throw the ball like he has, and Mike Hart was not at full speed. After the game, Mike Hart said he was fine. The final score was 14-3. Ohio State had won the Big Ten Conference yet again but this game would mark the end of an era for the Wolverines. On November 18, 2007, at Michigan's Sunday team meeting following their loss to the Buckeyes, Coach Carr told his team that he was retiring after Michigan's bowl game. He made it official the next day at a press conference. On the eve of his final game versus the defending national champion Florida Gators, Carr was awarded the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award. During the Florida game, which was the Capital One Bowl, Michigan's passing game was in sync as quarterback Chad Henney and receiver Adrian Arrington set single-game career highs for passing and receiving yards and led the Wolverines to a stunning 41-35 victory over the 12th-ranked Gators. The Wolverine defense managed to contain Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback and modern-day prophet Tim Tebow with constant pressure and blitzing for most of the game, which held him to 154 yards passing and just 57 rushing yards. But, you know, Tebow did get four touchdowns, so that's still pretty good. The Wolverines overcame four turnovers, including two fumbles by senior Mike Hart playing his last game for the team, and they were down 35-31 but came back to win their first bowl game in four seasons and the final game of Lloyd Carr's storied career. Their rivals, the Ohio State University, they'd lose in the national championship game for a second straight season to an SEC team, the LSU Tigers. Carr would be replaced by Rich Rodriguez, who was pretty terrible at Michigan. His 2008 team finished with a record of just three wins and nine losses the worst season in the storied history of Michigan. The losing record also meant that the team would not play in a postseason bowl game for the first time in 33 years, which at the time was the longest streak in the country. Rodriguez would then be replaced by Brady Hoke, who kept Michigan in mediocrity, 
Much of the issues with the new coaches would be schemes. Rodriguez ran a fast-paced spread offense, which needed smaller, faster guys. Carr ran a pro-style offense, which relied on traditional big, burly football players. So Rodriguez tried to fit his fast system with Carr's players, and it wouldn't work. By the time Rodriguez got his own players into place, he was dismissed and replaced by Brady Hoke, who, like Carr, ran a pro-style system. Only now, Michigan was undersized. The whole time, Ohio State dominated the conference and the rivalry with Michigan. In the 10 years since Lloyd Carr retired, Michigan has one win and nine losses against Ohio State. And yes, I know one of those games was vacated, but I watched it with my own eyes, and it happened. I eventually would make my peace with the University of Michigan. As long as they're not playing Ohio State, I watch and feel those same emotions I felt as a kid. My studio has a photo of the Fab Five basketball team in it. Shout out to Jalen Rose. I finally went to Yost Arena in November of last year with my wife, and we loved every minute of it. My favorite type of snow was falling in Ann Arbor, and all just felt right with the world. In 2011, Appalachian State and Michigan agreed to play a rematch scheduled for 2014, and it would be the season opener for both teams. Appalachian State would be paid $850,000 to play the game. Michigan's athletic director at the time, Dave Brandon, felt the rematch would be an excellent way to gain attention for Michigan football, and said, quote, the networks were fighting over who gets to televise that game, unquote. Appalachian State's Jerry Moore said, To have the University of Michigan invite us back is the ultimate compliment for us as a program and a university. We're grateful for the opportunity to have a new generation of players experience a game day at the Big House and to test themselves against college football's all-time winningest program. The rematch would not be an FBS versus an FCS matchup like the famous one. Appalachian State had joined the FBS in 2014, becoming members of the Sun Belt Conference. The rematch was much different, with Michigan beating Appalachian State 52 to 14. App State never had a lead in the game. Have a season you'd like featured on Good Hustle? Let me know at listentogoodhustle.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Mackey or on Instagram at Hello Mackey, and that's spelled M A C K E Y. The show also has an Instagram, though I'm still in the process of figuring out what that entails. It's Listen to Good Hustle if you're interested. Credits to Wikipedia, the University of Michigan, ESPN, and the many, many memories from college. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit anchor.fm slash goodhustle. Also, if you're listening on iTunes, a five-star review is always appreciated. I'll see you next week.